So I didn't know what a LAN party was, but I did come across the weekly podcast called LAN Parties about esports and gaming from the Las Vegas Review Journal. It's hosted by the super energetic Ryan Smith and Lucas Egan. I'll admit, I still find the whole concept elusive. I did, however, realize there is a whole universe of people who really, really, really take video games seriously. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Ryan and Lucas, not only about the games and gamers, but how this could be an economic opportunity for Las Vegas with esports, stadiums, events, and even homegrown stars. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Ryan Smith. Hi, how are you? It's a beautiful day. Video games are popping, a lot dropping this week. Again, thanks thanks so much for having us. And thank you for the internal rhyme. That is like my weakness. <laughs> and, and we've also got your co-host, Lucas Hagen. How are you, Lucas? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. And just it's an honor to be on the show. Oh, an honor. Come on. All right. But I'll try to live <laughs> up to that. Here's the thing, though. I I am ignorant to this. You know, if we were talking about Doom circa 1993. I'm solid. I could I could go toe to toe, and then I drop off. Okay, so <laughs> I I know there's a lot more going on, but let's start with some basics. What are esports as as a genre? Well, esports is is really a competitive sector of gaming. Esports lies underneath the video games umbrella, but not every video game can be an esport. Okay. Uh, there has to be some sort of competitive aspect to it. Typically, it's within teams or getting points. I mean, a lot of the popular esports right now are first-person shooters. You've got things like League of Legends, these MOBAs, which are absolutely huge. I, I mean, right now, in 2021, the esports in- industry exceeded $1 billion as of last year, and it is predicted to go up more and more. So it's an absolutely huge, huge sport. So your podcast is called Land Parties. What is a land party? Yeah, so a land party is a gathering of people, uh, either on consoles or PCs, where there's a local connection connecting you. So it's it's very much an in-person multiplayer experience that Ryan and I were both raised up on in, in our gaming histories, I would say. Yeah, and and we got to remember too, land parties have been around since the '90s. People coming together and co- connecting to the same network and being able to play against each other, staying up for hours and hours of on end, just playing, you know, StarCraft two or whatever. For me, it's just that that love of video games, and so many different communities and different people are able to come together for this common cause within video games. And you know, land. Party- Parties are, are a key, especially in the competitive scene, uh, especially where frame rate and fractions of a second can make a difference in between victory and defeat. And your wired connections are always going to be more steady and faster uh, and more reliable than a Wi-Fi connection, especially. Uh, so there, there's a lot of people that still prefer those local in-person events just for that reason. 
Well, and I think a lot of people really appreciate what you guys do on your podcast, on Land, Land Party's podcast. You know, you're here in Las Vegas, you're doing commentary, you're doing analysis, uh, you're talking industry talk, you're talking about players, and it's all very awesome. But I am curious, like, games are played online, so anyone can jump in on, on the network and play against each other or with each other, however it goes. Does locality even matter anymore, like where you're physically located? Like being in Las Vegas is an advantage or disadvantage? Well, especially when you get into the competitive scene, it then comes down to like speeds. You're going to have a little bit of input lag, say online, as opposed to gaming in person. So I think a lot of that has to do with, especially when you're talking about these competitive games, there can't be any kind of room for error because we're talking about millions of dollars in prize money and sponsorships. So you know, just having that physical location is huge. Las Vegas has been basically establishing itself as a video game hub. You've got multiple esports arenas. You've got a Twitch lounge in Allegiant Stadium. They see it. And I know I've been in on some of the conferences where we're talking about casinos and they're talking about that kind of stuff and how big video games are and them leaning more towards skill-based games as opposed to games that are more based off of luck. So Las Vegas, I, I feel, is very open and and we could see that clearly in the development. You've got Resorts World. They teamed up with FaZe Clan. You've got Paris Legion and, and the C, uh, COD League for Paris moving out to Las Vegas next year, which is another huge team. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more of these teams getting out into the community and, and doing the, you know, kind of emulating what traditional sports typically does during those off seasons. Right, right. Now you dropped the names of a bunch of these pro teams. So I, I, mm -hmm. I want to transition into pro esports. You just called Vegas essentially a mecca for esports. Why is that? I would say, you know, A, because it, it it's so easy to host larger events here. Uh, we've had several tournament organizers say, you know, it's not a hard sell to ask people to come to Las Vegas to compete. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, there's all the extra stuff uh, aside from the actual competition that attracts people. Clearly, they have the hotel space. They have the food. They have they have all the amenities that people are looking for. Vegas still has that cachet of being like an entertainment capital of the world. Also, you know, you've seen events like Evo, the uh, Evolution Championship Series, which is a huge fighting game tournament here that actually just came back uh, this past August for the first time mm -hmm. since the pandemic into an in-person event. Uh, so you actually have some historical precedent already of esports coming here. And just the draw of the city just makes it just just such an easy sell for everybody to to want to come here. Uh, tell us about our homegrown pro teams, the Las Vegas teams. How many Las Vegas teams are there and, and what games are they known for playing? Well, as far as teams, uh, Las Vegas Inferno, obviously, I'm also a content creator on their team. Uh, help me out here, Lucas. Uh, I'm, I'm totally spacing. Stormbrush <laughs> Gaming uh, is another one yes. that does mainly Mario Kart, uh, I think, is, is what they do the most. There's, like I said, a couple of organizations like Silver State Esports do more into the organizing side. I, I would say lo local grown Las Vegas Inferno is probably our biggest, uh, and they're in multiple different games. They have multiple different players. Rocket League, Call of Duty, Fortnite, I believe. So they, yeah, they they have a multitude of games that they are kind of, is their focus. And how many people are typically on the team? Well, I know from our side, I want to say that there's probably 
anywhere between seven to ten content creators. And then, like, on the actual esports and competitive side, typically, I want to say there's anywhere, it depends on which game they're playing. I believe Rocket League has three or four people on their team. And again, they're getting completely different contracts, and and their stuff looks, it's almost like a, a bit of separation between the professional players and then, like, the content creators. So, okay, back to newbie guy here. I understand what playing a video game is about. I've I've played video games. I I can I can picture uh, someone playing a video game much better than me, but I can still picture that. What's a content creator versus a player? So, a content creator, think of it more as like a streamer. They're probably either streaming on a platform or they're creating some sort of content or videos on say YouTube. They will do things and we've for example with Las Vegas Inferno, we've gone and we uh, did a charity for the Children's Hospital in Summerlin and we raised $5,000 to bring a gaming station to the kids ward out there. So we'll come together as content creators and and do something like that or they'll have a community night where we'll have a specific time and typically we'll use something like Discord and we'll get on and play with people in the community and just have fun. Uh, it, it's, it's really the, like for me anyway, you know, it's still a chance to be able to play video games and make different content. I'm a streamer as well and do that kind of stuff, but I'm not necessarily in the competitive teams, but I'm still a part of this esports team. Okay. And not to, not to in any way diminish that, cause that sounds amazing, but you're, you're part hype man too, right? I, is that fair or am I? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And and again, for me, it's not you're not just going to join a team because you're joining a team. For me, anyway, it's about what that team stands for, the other creators that are on there and you're coming together, both IRL and in the in, or on the digital space and creating stuff. And, and it's really more about, you know, being a part of the community. Sure. <laughs> well, let me ask this, Lucas, how, how does the money get made for the teams, the players? How does that work? Because, you know, if you're donating money to, to charities, which is awesome, how about the players and, and the content creators? How are they getting paid? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a business end to it. So there's sponsorship deals and, and whatnot. There's money you can win in competition if, if they're performing consistently, consistently well. Uh, from a content creator side, you know, the different platforms have different requirements to become like partners on Twitch and whatnot that you can make some income on. So there's there's different revenue streams, you know, strictly from the esports side. Uh, I honestly that's been one of the challenges for a lot of the the bigger organizations is how to make these teams financially viable over a long period of time. Uh, you know, they see the numbers and some of them are able to get some pretty big brand deals. Uh, some of these leagues, bigger leagues, get some big brand deals. But how do you do that consistently for a bunch of different games that's not League of Legends is something that the industry as a whole needs to figure out for its long-term health and viability. That's really interesting. And I'm also kind of fascinated with this idea that people are converging here in Las Vegas and making it their residence here in these kind of these pro pro teams, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I also have these visions in my head. Do they all just go live in a big mansion together and do these thumb exercises every morning? <laughs> or how's what what's 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 the lifestyle like for for people who are here in Las Vegas working together on a team, both as players and content creators? I honestly think that varies from team to team. There there have been some organizations that's come that come here that have 
content creator houses, which is essentially what you're describing, where a group of them will get together and live in, in one space, and they're all about making content all the time, and, and they're working together. Uh, other organizations that are smaller, obviously, they're, they're, you're living in your own space, and you're coming together in, in common areas. Uh, but honestly, it, we've seen both kind of take hold here. Is there a typical member of the team demographically? In other words, are we talking mostly guys of a certain age? Are we talking, you know, diversity of any sort? I think for the most part, it is primarily males. And we're talking about a younger demographic. You and I, David, are not in that demographic. We have aged out. (laughs) You don't know me, man. You don't know. I've got a very young picture up in my attic (laughs) that is ready to go play. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what it is. It's kids. And that's something that we've discussed as well. You know, are these kids getting and what kind of uh, media training are they getting? Because you've got people going on Twitter and this and that, just acting the fool, completely throwing away their careers because they don't know how to be professional in, say, social media or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really something I feel and we feel that that is important. And that's why it's something like the the Youth League here in uh, Nevada, that's the kind of things that they do, training and getting kids into like, hey, you can do some serious stuff. Uh, here in that sports. And even if it's not playing games, there is a ton of different work that can be done within that gaming sector. It is very much a viable career solution this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. So whether player or support or creative content or all the other things that you mentioned, uh, it does seem to be a burgeoning industry. But uh, let's focus on the on the pro esports athlete. What what goes into it? What's the what is that training that you just referred to? How do they become that level of good? Well, I think like like any s- traditional sport, it's got to start uh, long before you're ever picked up by an organization. Uh, so you've got to have a passion for a game and you've got to be putting in hours of practice on your own before you ever reach that level where an organization will look at you. But once, if you do get to that level, I mean, they've got trainers, they've got coaches, there's practices, like it, it's a legit sports operation there. Uh, so you've got training, you've got film study. They're putting in the time as any athlete would. One of the unique challenges, as Wright alluded to this, is it's a it's a young person's game, and their a, a career of an esport athlete is shorter than like a traditional sport athlete. So they have a much smaller window to take advantage of their quote prime uh, in a certain esport, and then it becomes you know how can they transition into coaching, into broadcasting, into something else? Their window to to be productive is even shorter than traditional sports. And that's short as it is. Well, and I imagine that like anything else, uh, endurance could be part of it. I mean, I've read that pro chess players have to do physical training on treadmills to be able to, you know, be sustainable throughout an entire match. Is that, is that what's going on in the esports world too? I would imagine so. I mean, think about it, sitting in a chair for hours on end, depending on what type of game you're playing, like a League of Legends, like that could last hours, just one match, you know, so there's got to be some sort of training to be able to and your, you know, your body has to be at least in, in decent physical shape to where you're able to do that kind of thing, or you're sitting there clicking, clicking a mouse for hours on end. I I don't know about you, but my fingers would probably start cramping up. I would be having issues. So I'm sure there's like legit little, little exercises that they do uh, in terms of that. But 
you know, I, I feel like there's very much a, a stigma, especially within video games, esports, where it's just, oh, people just sitting in for hours, not doing anything. Uh, yeah, and munching I, I on flaming Hot Cheetos. And, you know, yeah. and look, that might be my story, but I know. <laughs> but no, I mean, we, we had a guest on, uh, Jenny Yu, and she developed a game that you literally combat it's like a PVE co-op game that you do by running and walking. Uh, so there's a lot in that sector in terms of physicality and, and getting physical with things and, and video games. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty clever. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Pokemon go when they were like, this is exactly. how we're going to get kids outside and walking around, which is mm-hmm. great everywhere except Las Vegas, because we don't want those kids to just burst into <laughs> flame. So, you know, be careful. They do the warnings right on the Pokemon go. It's like <laughs> extreme weather. Are you okay? Yep, <laughs> it's like, right. they're always going to say yes. Anyway. Let's change gears a little bit. Las Vegas is clearly becoming a sports town. Mm-hmm. Are we on the verge of becoming an esports town? I think so, but I would add some caveats to that. I think that esports as a whole has a a star problem. It's something Ryan and I have talked about before. You know, you think of the NBA, like the big franchises like the Lakers, but you also think of those transcendent stars like LeBron, like Michael Jordan. Right. You know, you think of the NFL, there's Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and the thing is, and, and partly this is due to the age of the players, partly this is due to that a lot of esports organizations like to protect or shield their players, but you don't have many truly transcendent stars. And that is, in my opinion, key to really get the, the mass adoption. You know, you're never going to get the general or casual fan to really invest without, uh, you know, I know that person's backstory. I'm invested in that person. I'm also a fan of theirs, so I'll watch them play. That's what esports is missing, I think, from from really taking that next step. Uh, as far as as Vegas, though, infrastructure wise, I mean, it's there, right? They're hosting the esports awards at Resort World this December, so you're going to get like a marquee esports event right on the Strip. But to, to really connect with with the population at large, I think they need those stars to to be made, and we just haven't seen that yet. You know, an interesting analogy that comes to mind based on what you guys are saying, poker was kind of obscure for a really long time. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, even the World Series of Poker was a thing for a while and it took place here in Las Vegas. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, you see you're you're on ESPN, you see poker, you're on other cable Mm -hmm. channels, you're just going through, you're seeing people playing poker and they turn that corner. And I'm just wondering if we're on the verge of seeing esports make that same sort of transition into the, well, I'm going to just call it the mainstream. I think with poker, what if you'll remember the moneymaker effect, right? And when they went on ESPN, they promoted the characters of the games, the Phil Helmuths, the Daniel Negranus. Uh, so that coupled with what I just said, you know, ESPN pushed the stars of poker that really opened it up to uh, the mass population. Now, we saw some of those players and go, this is kind of goofy. This isn't how I pictured poker at all. This looks kind of fun. Uh, so that if, if they get to that point, yes, they could be on the verge of, of that. Right now, approximately 80% of Americans have no interest or have never heard of esports. So I, I think it's still a tough battle to climb. Right now, over 50% of the viewership is coming from that Asia Pacific uh, region. 12% of that is coming from, from North America. So, you know... I, it's hard to say what it's going to take to really get 
North America and, and folks that are in it to take more notice of esports. And I think that's where they're they're having a dilemma because there's a ton of money. Sponsorships make up a huge chunk of that money. And, you know, so there's a ton of money over there, but you barely have any viewership. So I, I feel like the return of investment in that is not where it, it is viable. I think there's a long upward climb in terms of popularity, it's definitely getting there just here, uh, particularly in the States. I feel like it, it, that's going to be a tough battle. So so what's the short term to get there? What's next steps for esports in Las Vegas to level up? I think that you need a local organization to really get a stranglehold and build up a, a loyal fan base. And I think the potential's there. And honestly, like, just continue to bring in events, like continue to draw in more and more. It's got to be more than just a every couple months. Hey, there's giant things in here. But in between, there's this big lull. We've got to be having through different games, you know, in my mind, a monthly event, some big events coming either at the HyperX or or at one of the casinos and and one of their arenas that they've got attached to really kind of keep esports in the limelight. You know, it's one of those things where. The downside of being the entertainment capital of the world is if you're not producing something, they're going to look somewhere else for something else in the meantime. And so that consistency, yeah. I think, is key. Yeah, the competition's definitely fierce for people's minds and money, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I would say it's probably the buy-in of the casino and gambling industry. I think when they get a tie-in to that, not only is that going to boost then the visibility of esports, but then you have this other revenue source where now casinos are going to be looking if you know to be able to capitalize on that and get their piece of the pie. So I, I think to me that is going to be a huge boost once they finally get something in the books that says, hey, okay, you can do that. Because now casual Joe Smo now has a you know, $100 bet or parlay on an Overwatch game or something like that. Now yeah. he's watching this league, Overwatch League, and slowly starts getting sucked in. Overwatch now is, is going to be, Overwatch 2 is going to be free to play. It's got a free to play element to it. So now Joe Smo can hop in and I can play too. Now I'm tying that connection and I'm even more bonded to it. I think that's how they continue to grow. Yeah, interesting. I mean, obviously, Las Vegas is uniquely positioned between all the money that flows through here, the gaming, the marketing. I mean, heck, even cannabis. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of different connections to the you know traditional and maybe non-traditional view of, of, of gaming and, and certainly esports. Well, hey, Ryan Smith, Lucas Egan, uh, the co-hosts of Land Parties, thanks again for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And now for a little news. So after a number of false starts dating back years, it looks like the moribund Safari Motel on Fremont Street will soon see new life. Not as a hipster hangout, but transitional housing for people who have recently become unsheltered. It has 20 rooms and supportive services, which should help about 200 people a year. Officials hope this county project located in the city of Las Vegas will usher in some new energy to the conversation of homelessness. It's scheduled to open by the holidays. The time is here, everyone. Ballots are in the mail, and early voting starts on Saturday. Saturday. 
be sure to check the Clark County Election Department website for early voting sites and ballot drop-off points. A recent study places Nevada almost dead last when it comes to voter participation. Here's your chance to prove them wrong. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you learn something new? You know, like the fact that esports is a billion dollar global industry? Yeah, I know. So go tell a friend about CityCast and send them this episode. Then make sure they're following the show, make sure you're following the show, and subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. Speaking of which, have you noticed the newsletter's new look? The CityCast Las Vegas newsletter is now called Hey Las Vegas! New name, new look, same great newsletter. And last but not least, we got a voicemail from listener Danny Baranowski about last week's episode on weed lounges. As a cannabis industry leader, advocate, and business person, uh, I think a lot of people are overthinking this. Anything that you can replace, alcohol, any, any activity, you can add cannabis into that. It's pretty simple. Um, Las Vegas is going to be the Amsterdam of America. People are going to come from all over the world to try cannabis for the first time, and then they're going to take it out. So brands need to recognize the power of the consumption lounge uh, and its viability. And two, it's going to create a new leg of uh, commerce and tourism for our city. And I can't wait to be a part of it and build those bricks. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. If you too would like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 702-514-0719. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon.